Yep. Welcome to Dodgers Dogs. Casey Porter joined by Austin Brubaker, as I am each and every Wednesday. We have a lot to talk about. Lots of 40-man stuff to talk about. You know, hey, the the you know the announcement that probably the Dodgers are going to bring back Jason Hayward. That fills out all 40 spots in the 40-man, so we're going to talk about that. Austin's also going to talk about, hey, you know, this being the hot stove season, teams not have to – they don't have to look at, at what a guy's done in the past. What they need to be trying to figure out is what performance are they going to get in the future so they can know what kind of value they're actually buying. Austin wrote a tremendous article on that today. Released that on Dodgers Daily. Matter of fact, I'm going to put the link to that here in the chat here in just a second. So, Austin, first of all, awesome article, and welcome in. Well, thanks for having me, Casey. Yeah, it was a lot of fun writing that. That is actually the first article that I've written for Dodgers Daily. I know I've done, obviously, a bunch of work on air, kind of covering the Dodgers and talking specifically a lot about the Loons and about uh, players from a lot of the other teams. Uh, yeah, no, it's a very, it, it's a time where a lot of teams are looking to acquire talent. And you want to do this in the smartest way possible. You want to get talent that is going to impact your teams for the future. So a lot of this is about forecasting. It's about predicting what an individual is going to do. And the Dodgers have to do that with their 40-man roster right now. Obviously, and I'm sure we'll get into this because we haven't had the chance to talk about this, it is not technically official yet, meaning the Dodgers haven't announced it through their social media yet. But Jason Hayward is going to be coming back to the Dodgers. That has been leaked. That is what the assumption is out there. Uh, He'll be coming back in a one-year, $9 million contract. That fills up the Dodgers' 40-man roster. So I'm sure we'll get into the 40 man roster, just the output, because the way the roster is constructed right now, they haven't necessarily made any drastic improvements from what they were last season. There are still holes that need to be addressed. And with there not being any room on the 40 man roster, remember both Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin can't be moved to the 60 man, 60 day injured list until spring training starts there are going to have to be moves that have to be made if you want to add talent into this roster. So we'll have, I'm sure, some discussion about that and about the signing of Jason Hayward. Yeah, not only have they not made any improvements, they haven't made any changes, really. I mean, they 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 offered contracts to all of the ARB-eligible, all 12 ARB-eligible uh, players that were in the system. So that took up 12. You know, I've mentioned it several different times when you're talking about these guys like Jason Hayward, it's not about their salary. The money's not the issue. The The cost is the roster spot. So if the Dodgers want to go out and get a Shohei Otani, who is a free agent, or a Yoshinibu uh, Yamamoto, correct, yes. which is a free agent, yes. that means they have to figure out how to clear two spots on the 40-man roster, period, in a discussion. So there's mm-hmm. two ways to do that. You can either DFA somebody who's on the roster – of which we'll go, we're going to go over tonight some of the guys that we think are the most likely that if the Dodgers went the DFA route, who would they be? Or you can, in a trade, you can trade away. Now, this tells you that if the Dodgers make a trade for, for you know, a big name or whatever, that in that trade, because the person they're going to trade for coming over is going to be on the 40-man. So in that trade, it's going to have to be players 
in your system that are already on the 40-man. Otherwise, the trade doesn't make sense at this point because you're not clearing up 40-man 40, 40 space. So, it, you know, it looks like there's going to have to be a trade made here for the Dodgers, one or more trades, and it's going to have to be with guys that are already on the 40-man. Would I be correct there? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that is kind of what has been highlighted by the moves the Dodgers have made. Not only have they decided to bring back Jason Hayward, which, as you mentioned, could be a very good sign. He was a really good player last season. The cost of that is both is not necessarily in the financials. You're not really worried about the financials if you're the Dodgers, and especially at a one-year deal. You're worried about the 40-man roster spot and the opportunity costs. And some of that also comes not just from the move to bring back Jason Hayward, but also with the arbitration-eligible players. They decided for all of the relief pitchers, the Ryan Yarbrows, the Yancy Almontes, uh, all of the Victor Gonzalez, all of those guys, they decided to offer a contract through arbitration for them. They could have just decided to move on from them and allow that to clear up a roster spot. They didn't decide to go down that route, instead electing to keep those guys on their roster, which is taking up some roster space similar to what Jason Hayward is. So what that is alluding to as far as the moves the Dodgers are going to make in the future, especially if they are looking to add additional talent, which they desperately need to get over that hump. They are going to have to make some sort of moves likely to trade because the guys that they have on their sit in the, on their 40 man roster are likely too talented to just by themselves designate for assignment, which is bringing up some of the rumors of some of the potential trade targets. Mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of discussion recently about talks picking up for a guy like a Dylan Cease. Uh, there's a lot of rumors out there, but just looking at the 40-man roster, assuming that they the signing of Jason Hayward becomes official, that is 40, meaning some of those guys on that 40-man roster, if you want to bring other people in, unless you hope that they don't sign until after spring training starts, which is totally unrealistic, they're going to have to be moves on the Dodgers roster. So uh, let's start with this. Of course, I think the Dodgers are going to try to, to – to figure this 40-man roster crunch out via trade first. And then if they can't, then if they have to resort to DFA and guys, I think that'll be second resort. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I think that is the most likely. You could also go with the theory with all these guys being kept in from being designated for assignment, that they are keeping those guys just as some sort of depth on their roster, knowing that they could – designate from for assignment and take the financial hit other teams might not be willing to take the financial hit the dodgers they're the dodgers they have a bunch of money they can go ahead and do that if they need to if the opportunity arises they might just be keeping them around just in case things don't work out with the number of free agents that they might be hoping to bring in uh but i think it is certainly true that some of the guys that are on the 40-man roster right now will at the very least not be on the 40-man roster coming up within the next month or two. Yeah, and the winter meetings are coming up. So did you have any any guys that, that you thought off the top of your head that you thought would be the first guys that might be DFA'd, or do you want me to go over the list? I, you can go ahead and bring up the list, and we can kind of discuss that. It, it's really tough right now because I know a lot of the guys got put – 
or at least they were uh, arbitration eligible. Dodgers offered them mm -hmm. a contract. That kind of throws a little bit of a wrench into the system as far as who the Dodgers might be first on the list. There's only maybe a handful of names that I could think of potentially right now, but go ahead and bring up the list. Yeah. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the guys that aren't going to get DFA, right? Yeah. I think it's yeah. easier to do that. Nick Frasso, agreed? Agreed, yes. Tony Gonsolin, Bruce yes. Dargratterall, Michael Grove, Kyle Hurt, Landon Knack, Dustin May, Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, Evan Phillips, Emmett Sheehan, Gavin Stone, Blake Trinan, Ricky Venasco. I know I've heard that name, but they just literally just signed him like last week to a major yeah. league contract. They're not going to sign him to a major league contract in the DFM. That, no. uh, they're not going to do that. No. Uh, let's see. Austin Barnes, Hunter Fiducia. They just put him on the 40-man. They're not going to take him off. Will Smith, uh, Michael Bush. They're not going to DFA him. Freddie Freeman, Gavin Lux, Max Muncy, Miguel Rojas, 100% chance, no DFA? I say it is very unlikely right now because of his positional versatility, because his ability to fill in that short. I think you need some of that <clears throat> uh, just depth, just to, as an insurance policy for Gavin Lux, I would say mm -hmm. it's very, very, yeah. very unlikely he gets DFA. Chris Taylor? See, I mean, you I could make the argument that Chris Taylor would be the depth at shortstop too, but... You could, yes. Yeah, Miguel Vargas is not going to get DFA'd. You're, uh, well, we'll go on. Mookie Betts, Johnny DeLuca is not going to get DFA'd. James Altman not going to get DFA'd. Andy Paya is not going to get DFA'd. So that leaves. All right, let's go through the list. Against uh, Almonte, any chance? It's it, again with him. He just he was just arbitration eligible. Dodgers could have moved on and try to figure out a minor league deal decided to offer him a contract i would say that he's not first up on the list but he could be a potential option for the dodgers we're not talking about the dodgers wanting to do it what we're talking yes. about is the dodgers find a couple of free agent targets and they have to figure out and they haven't come up with a trade scenario where they can figure out how to get otani or a yamamoto on the 40 man without dfa and somebody that's what we're that's the scenario we're talking about here right I think yes. they're going to try to, you know, they're going to try to trade like three guys on the 40 man and get one guy back, right? Which would open two slots on the 40 man. I think that's the way they're going to go. First of all, would you like, like, you know, maybe trade, trade your bit Vivas and a Gavin Stone to get a pitcher back, right? You know, and, yeah. and so that yeah. would make sense. No, I think yeah. that's no, what they're going to try to do first. Yeah, that certainly seems to be with the way the roster is constructed right now, what they probably would have to do in order to get some starting pitching back. And then if you're looking to add additional talent as well, that would open up some spots for them. So let's say you go get a number one pitcher. Okay, give me a, give me a trade prospect. Corbin Burns? Sure, let's go with Corbin Okay, Burns. so let's say that you give up a Gavin Stone, a Yorbit Vivas, and who else do you think you'd have to give up that's on the 40-man right now? Diego uh, Cartaya? That would be that would certainly be an option just because he's he's not ready for the big leagues yet, so the Dodgers wouldn't necessarily feel feel that yeah. hit. And it would be somebody on the 40 man roster. That certainly could be the case. And that's a position of depth. That's yes. a big one for the Dodgers. It's gotta be you know, like the outfield's not a position of depth, right? I mean, pitching 
catching, that's, you know, infield work too, I think. Those are positions of depth. So, you know, hey, we love Diego Cartaya, but you also have Dalton Rushing, Yainer Fernandez, Carson Taylor, Griffin Lockwood Powell, Tyrone Lorenzo, Hasty. I mean, you got all these. It's a yeah. position of depth. So, you know, you go get a Corbin Burns, you give up a Gavin Stone, a Yorbit Vivas, a, a uh, Diego Cartaya, and then whatever prospects that aren't on the 40-man beyond that. But I think you have to have at least three of them that are on the 40-man for the one pitcher that you're getting back. That way, you know, you're putting one on, taking three off. That clears up two spots. You can then go get a, a Yamamoto. Then you can go get a, a, a uh, you know, a, uh, uh, an Otani. All right? And now you've gotten your trade target and your two free agents. That's the, that, to me, that's the plan. Yeah, that certainly seems to be at least one of the scenarios that they could pursue. Uh, whether or not they bring in both Otani and Yam- Yamamoto, that remains to be seen. If they would be able to do that or if that would even be the way. They could financially. There the room's they, there. They, they certainly could financially, but they're also going to be battling with some other teams aggressively pursuing those guys. Two of the two of the guys that a lot of teams are very, very aggressively pursuing, that's still going to be something that is a difficult challenge to overcome, uh, especially when you, you start think? speaking in the hundreds You think of if the Dodgers really want Otani or Yamamoto that, that they're going to have serious competition? For Otani and Yamamoto, yeah. especially. I mean, I think if the Dodgers falls, truly yes. want them and they offer the cast that the two that the two think that they want, you know, and everything's equal, I think they're going to choose the Dodgers. You would you would certainly think so. You also don't know the minds of both Otani and Yamamoto, and you also don't understand that other teams are desperate for star players, desperate for some of these really talented individuals to help take them over the top. I know we kind of have a perspective that the Dodgers, they desperately need them, which they do, and they have the financial resources. All I'm trying to say is other teams have the financial resources as well, maybe not necessarily to the extent, might have a little bit more payroll flexibility in order to do that. But other teams are also desperate for some of these talents as well. Getting both of them would be something that would be difficult for the Dodgers to navigate because of a lot of the desperation of other teams as well as the Dodgers. So there's a lot of complications with all this. That's not trying to make an excuse for why the Dodgers wouldn't get both of those. It's an explanation of the complications that come with Major League Baseball free agency. No doubt. Having said that, you see it with the Loons. I see it with Oklahoma City and Tulsa. If there's another organization that's better with international prospects than the Dodgers, I'd like to see it. I mean, if you're an international prospect, the Dodgers are a pretty damn good place to land. Yeah, no, it is It is a very good place to land, and they take very good care of them, make sure that they get – acclimated to uh american baseball and they they have some of the best scouts in order to find a lot of the great talent that exists within a lot of those countries yeah they certainly do amazing job and have a bunch of talented individuals uh from a lot of those countries yeah so you know shohei otach so i think that's the that's the path where you could go get a huge number one star because the thing is otani's not going to pitch you need two starter you know you know we're talking about having two pitchers for next year. I think that's the way that you could do it. That's that's plan number one. The Dodgers always have fail-safe pl- 
plan B, plan C, that kind of deal, right? Okay, they always have that. And so I think plan A is, is to go get in a, in a trade and, and free up 40-man roster spots from a trade perspective like I, like I mentioned. Now, if none of that works out, and Otani and Yamamoto, Glass now, you know, Rosarina, he, his name's been brought up. If none of that works and you're stuck with a 40-man roster and, and if none of the trade aspects work and you've got a couple of free agents that you want to sign and you can't figure out a trade, plan B will be to DFA some guys on the roster. Correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. That, it, that unfortunately would be plan B, yes. Yincy Almonte is way down the line. Caleb Ferguson, I just can't imagine. I know people get frustrated with him because he gets put in high leverage situations. Got to remember last year was his first year back. He had good moments. He had bad moments. You know, there's no other way to put it. I don't see any possible scenario that Caleb Ferguson is DFA. Can you? No, especially because he's a left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen. They don't necessarily have a ton of lefty left-handed pitchers on the 40-man roster. Um, I think he is somebody that wouldn't be towards the top of the line to get DFA'd. I think he's somebody that the Dodgers would envision on keeping. I don't even think he would enter their mind. I don't even think he would even be a consideration for for DFA. But that, I could be. I mean, we don't know. Yeah. We're just yeah. speculating. Oh, yeah. No, we're, yeah. J.P. Fireisen. I, I would say probably not just because they, I mean, they've had some patience with him as he's been recovering from some of his injury. I think there's something that they like or want to see from him. If they wants to be something where they want to try to sneak him past a lot of the 40 man roster, they potentially could. I don't think that would necessarily work if they DFA him. I think another club would pick him up. Um, I don't think he's at the top of the list, but that would be an option. Nick Frasso, no. Gonsolin, no. Victor Gonzalez. He would be... He'd be down the list their, for me. Yeah. Although, again, he, with him, he was arbitration eligible. He could have been somebody where Dodgers didn't decide to offer him a contract and try to resign him to a minor league free agent deal. They didn't decide to do that. So, um, he But there's no reason to do that. I mean, if you if you offer the contract then you still have the two-way go if you're the Dodgers like right now you still have the two-way go with these guys you mm-hmm. can either keep keep them on the 40 yeah. man and offer that them a contract true. or you can DFA them yep. if you don't that offer is, them the contract true. in arbitration then you only have the one-way go and that is that you lose them right yep, yep. so no that, that's, that's why you do true. that is because you keep yourself within a position of leverage as a club and you give yourself a two-way go with all these guys and you if you need them you keep them. If you yep. don't, you DFA them, right? Which, yeah. if you DFA a guy at this point that you that you just that you just you know you tendered a contract to as far as the arbitration goes, what's the difference between that and a DFA? If you didn't offer them a contract through arbitration, correct? correct. Yeah, you wouldn't have to worry about paying that individual player. So it'd be the talk of the difference between zero and one million or so, or whatever Victor Gonzalez is going to make during the course of the season. Not a huge cost for the Dodgers. Certainly, they can bear that financial burden. Yeah, but um, if you DFA him, is somebody going to pick up Victor Gonzalez? It depends on what other team need, what other teams need. There's certainly a world where a team might be looking for a left-handed reliever. I don't necessarily know if they would. I would say it's 
I honestly don't know if another team would hmm. do that. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Bruce Dark Rider, I'll know. Michael Grove, no. I think the number one target I'm getting ready to say, and I, hey, I hope you yeah. understand. I love all these prospects. I saw this guy pitch a million times. I think he's good. Okay, but there has to be somebody that you think would be the first guy that would get targeted, right? I mean, yeah. I don't mean this to be, throw anybody under the bus to be negative, and it kills me to have this conversation, but it has to be had, right? I mean, it's business. Yeah. It's business time of the year, right? Okay? Yeah. So I think the first guy that would be considered for DFA would be Brian Hudson. I, I think you're unfortunately right with that. He's got a ton of talent, too. You would hate to see that. But Six foot eight. From where, yeah, from, from where the Dodgers are at right now, just kind of eliminating a lot of the guys that we see, uh, he certainly would probably be at the towards the front of the line in the Dodgers' mind if they had to make a move right now. Yeah, and I've seen him pitch. He has good extension. You know, he has – you know, he's left-handed. The Dodgers got to see him. The Dodgers fans got to see him a little bit. He's a little bit up on the up-down train. So, I do think Brian Hudson would be candidate number one. Okay? So, I think at max, you know, hey, we were right on target when we said the Dodgers were going to protect probably three guys. Right? And that's exactly what they protected. I said guaranteed two, likely three, and that's exactly what happened. And I think the likely three went down to the wire. So, I mean, yeah. it, you know, they, and I'm, I'm so glad that it happened the way it did. Okay, so I'm saying if, there, if it comes to having to DFA somebody, I'm saying probably one, maximum of two. Would you agree with that? It, I mean, I guess it depends on them being able to make some sorts of trade happen. Even I mean, if I, they don't, even if they don't, I think, I think, I don't think you're going to pick up more than two free agents. That would be good enough to justify DFA in somebody. I think I think we could, there could be envision a world where they potentially pick up maybe three free agents. Talking about maybe perhaps an Otani and maybe two starting pitchers, not the high end starting pitchers, but maybe one of them and maybe one of those, maybe three or four. That is something that I could see like a Giolito. the Dodgers potentially, <laughs> like a Lucas Giolito, or there's some rumors going around about a like a Seth Lugo. Um, some of those guys, I could envision the Dodgers taking that route. Two of them? Hoping to bank on some of the upside. Two of them? I could potentially see it. I mean, you if you're see talking him taking, about... You could see him taking an Otani plus two Giolito types? I, I'm talking about an Otani plus a... Perhaps they might go after one of the frontline starting pitchers. I'm talking about that and potentially maybe like one of the a tier or two below that. Like yeah, but which free agent pitcher makes sense right now? I just don't see one that makes sense out there. I mean, you're talking about for the front end. You're talking to like a Yamamoto or yeah, a Snell, that's, that's and then true. you're and then once you go, move on from me, there, that was a then you're looking comment. for yeah. Then you're looking <laughs> at a uh Giolito, a Lugo, or an Imanaga, or something like that. So yeah. I could see potentially yeah. You're right. maybe three of these guys, potentially, because they're already probably going to be looking for two starting pitchers, and then maybe an Otani type. Certainly a lot of rumors of that going around right now. Um, so that is kind of what I could envision if they aren't able to make some sort of trade happen. And I think the most likely target as far as guys that could be removed from the 40-man roster if those moves have to take place 
unfortunately have to do with the bullpen, have to do with relief pitchers, because I think they see them as being able, being fairly interchangeable and being uh, guys that they can find hidden talent like they did with a Ryan Brazier this past season. They can find guys and help, help fix them and help, just find some sort of way to put them into the bullpen. I think that is the most likely scenario if they aren't able to make some sort of trade happen, though I think a trade is more than likely going to happen. Yeah, I I always, I don't know, this is terrible to me, but every time I say the free agent thing, for some reason I keep forgetting Yamamoto. It just, it did, I I don't know, it it just always slips my mind. So let me back up and say, you are 100% correct about that. That was a really dumb comment on my part as far as the free agent pitchers that don't make sense because, hey, Yamamoto, if the, I've not seen him pitch with my own eyes. If the Dodgers scouting system, if they see him and they deem him worthy of the contract that, that he would he's going to get, got to go with the Dodgers scouting system. They know better than everybody. Okay, so <laughs> Brian Hudson, I think he would be DFA candidate number one. Kyle Hurt, absolutely no chance. Landon Knack, they just put him on the 40-man, no chance. Dustin May, no chance. Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, Evan Phillips, Emmett Sheehan, Gavin Stone, Blake Trinan, no chance. Ricky Venasco, no chance. They yeah. they literally just signed him to a major league contract. Am I off here? No, I don't believe you're off there. I mean, if you if you want to DFA the guy, didn't why did you go sign him to a major league contract, right? Yeah, no, that that one makes sense. I think they have I think they have some really good Big plans for him, and I think they really liked what they saw from Ricky Venasco. Dodgers fans are going to like this guy. As long as he performs like he's capable. Hey, he's been inconsistent in the past. He's been a starter. The strike zones eluded him from time to time in his career, so nothing's a guarantee, correct? I mean, but from where he came from, when he came, you know, when he came over to the Dodgers and went to the complex, I believe it was like in May, from that point to where he got to Tulsa, then to when he got into that high leverage role. Hey, when he came to Oklahoma City, they were in the middle of trying to win. You know, that was a big deal for Oklahoma City, whether people want to realize that or not. That was a nice yeah. run. It was a lot of fun. It was made into a big deal. The Dodgers do a great job of turning those. You see it with the Loons. The Dodgers oh, yeah. do a great job of making winning important, right? Yeah, no, winning is not – a lot of – some teams might say winning at the major league level is the only important thing. And what happens at the minor league level doesn't matter. And to a certain extent, they're right. Obviously, what happens at the big league level is the most important thing and where you want to win. But in order to do that, you have to cultivate a culture of winning. And yes. that comes through the minor league system. You have to be – in competition you have to be striving to win you have to learn that through the minor leagues as you are working on your craft it's not just an individual sport although that's mostly what it is about the development of the players it's also about that development of learning how to win which the Dodgers do a really good job in their system cultivating that uh, throughout all of the levels. I mean, you saw it with the Great Lakes Loons this past season, 2023, just how much winning meant to them and how much that race for the championship, their race for the Midwest League East division title, and then the one that just fell short of the Midwest League title meant to them. And it's the same thing with the rest of the system because of the culture that the Dodgers cultivate which ultimately translates when those guys are ready to join the big league club they know how to win because they did win in the minor leagues and that's going to translate into the major leagues all right here's some interesting ones Gus Farland 
I the dude's good. Yeah, man. I know. Yeah, no, that's that is very tough because I I really don't want to see that happen. I nor do I think that he deserves. He to would get, get picked up in a heartbeat, though. It wouldn't yes, be terrible I, for Gus because he'd get picked no. up in a second by another club. Yeah, no. So, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, I think he would enter the conversation yep, because we're talking about the relief arms. And yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're not saying this because we don't like them as individuals or like the player. We we're saying that because we're looking at the reality of the, the business Dodgers man rosters and the business decisions and the likelihood of which positions that the Dodgers would likely look to if they need to find some breathing room because they have one, a bunch of guys in their system who could fill in with that. And if they needed to get guys as some sort of reclamation projects or find hidden gems, bullpen is usually right-handed bullpen areas where you can, (laughs) yes, it's one of those areas where the Dodgers have excelled at and can find a lot of those talents. Alex Vestia, I think, is safe because I think the left-hander from the bullpen would be Brian Hudson or Victor Gonzalez. I think Vestia would be behind those two. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Vestia or I, Gonzalez, I so, which, yeah. one, which one would get DFA'd first? I think it would be Victor Gonzalez. Yeah, I think so too. And again, I, I want to reiterate, this This show's yeah. killing me. I mean, I, yeah, I felt I like it needed to be had. Because I think you need to talk about, you know, this is the part of the season we're in. We're in the business decision part of this. Again, I want to reiterate, this does not mean that we think that these guys aren't major league quality. This doesn't mean that we don't think that they're awesome. This just means that, hey, there might be a situation to where the Dodgers have 44 players that they want, but they have to trim it down to 40. So which four go? Yeah. And we've got, yeah. I mean, we've got to give our opinion on which ones we think they'd be, right? So yeah, I hope we, we if have- any of these players are watching this show, I certainly hope they don't think we're throwing them under the bus or any of that. We're just talking about business, right? Yeah, no, we're talking about business, and we will be some of the first people to highlight a lot of the success that they would have (laughs) in other organizations as well. If they get removed from the 40-man and go on to a different organization, we're more than happy to highlight and willing to help promote all of the good things that they're doing in them and other teams because we like these guys as individuals as well. The difficult part of Major League Baseball is there is a business side and there has to be those decisions, especially when the Dodgers have the necessity to upgrade their roster if they want to get over the hump. They've seen it with the roster they have right now is it hasn't worked in the postseason. They need to make upgrades specifically at pitching. Uh, starting pitching specifically. So there are going to be moves that have to be mm-hmm. made. These are some of the hard decisions that the Dodgers are going to talk about. Landon Knack said it. Dodgers roster might be the toughest 40-man roster to crack of any roster in all of baseball for prospect. Not only because there's so many good players in the system, but also because they value veterans so much, right? So for a, yeah. a prospect type guy, you've got to be somebody they really think is going to help them to for them to spend a 40-man. Because again, 40-man roster spots are cash to the Dodgers. Cash itself really is kind of irrelevant because this this organization has money. It's the roster spots that matter. Because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like I always tell, I'm a history teacher, and I always tell kids, hey, no matter how much money you have, right, there's two things that you can't create more of. No matter how much money you make, you can't create more land, and you can't create more time, right? So if you ever come into a situation where you own land or where you can save time, 
and spend time the way you want it, do it, please. Right? So, you know, the Dodgers can always make more money, but the rules are rules. They can't put 44 guys on the roster, right? So, having said that, this is, this is one of the toughest rosters to crack. So, I say that to say the reason why I'm, I'm upbeat about this conversation because I don't think there's a single person on the Dodgers 40-man roster that any other – hey, if the, if the guy's good enough to make the Dodgers 40-man roster – the damn it, he's good enough to make the Pirates 40-man roster, right? I mean, yeah. that's kind of the way I look at this. So these guys are going to get picked up if they if they get DFA'd, in my opinion. You know, so that's the positive side of this. Yeah, no, I, I think you pointed it out right there. You're absolutely <clears throat> right with that. This is one of, if not the most difficult 40-man rosters to crack. And it's it's very it's it's an incredibly difficult roster to crack. And all these guys that are on the 40-man roster are there for a reason. It's because they are incredibly mm-hmm. talented individuals. And all of these decisions that the Dodgers might have to make are so incredibly difficult. And so but it is something that they as an organization are gonna have to make this call. All right, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and keep being a wimp, quit being a wimp, and we're going to talk business, right, Austin? All right, here we go. Yeah, Ryan Yarbrough. I would say on the right list, now, but not very high. I I would say it depends on what they do for starting pitching. So with him, he's one of those guys who can kind of float between a starter with that middle relief piggyback type role. If they are able and are comfortable with getting two starters i think that lessens the role like a guy like a ryan yarborough could have in that scenario you could potentially envision ryan yarborough if necessary not being utilized especially if they want to utilize some of the yeah. younger guys who can fit some more of that the versatile type role uh some of the it becomes it makes this it turns into a situation where Brian Yarborough w- might not be necessary right now, as the roster is constructed today, he is necessary, but if they add a couple of arms, will he be, especially if they don't decide to trade a lot of guys, that's a, that's a scenario where it would be better for Ryan Yarborough to get opportunities with another organization. So you're saying his value is being a left-handed swing man that the Dodgers don't, they don't have another guy in that, that that's like that in the, in the system right now. They and you're you're right about that. They could see, hey, this is it's good to have a left-handed swing man. What I was talking about more was the innings that he provides, especially as a starter or as a bulk oh, inning that. guy. They have a lot of those guys, and so if but it they're all right-handed. To, yeah, that is that's the tricky part. Do you want to keep the right-handed guys who are younger and probably have more? They definitely have more upside than a guy like Ryan Yarbrough, who's later into his career. Or do you just want to have that lefty there? Those are the conversations that could come up with a guy like a Yarn, Ryan Yarborough. Yeah, have, not could. <laughs> I'll yeah, promise yeah. you, every single one of these players. Hey, the Dodgers, they come over every inch of every single player to make sure that they are not – Hey, is there, if there's, there's not going to be a stone that's not turned over for every, every one of their own guys, which is why yeah. I always say trades always work for the Dodgers because they know their guys way better than the other teams know – their guys. So when they trade guys off, they know the guys are trading off way better than the other teams that are getting them. Okay. So Ryan Yarbrough, I think he's on the list. He's way down the list. Okay. So let me ask you this Yarbrough, Gonzalez, which one between those two? 
I would I would say Gonzalez probably just because Yarbrough would provide a little bit of length that that versatility. becomes yeah a little bit of versatility with that and he's a left-hander although that becomes incredibly incredibly difficult and I don't I haven't mm-hmm. done as much research as the Dodgers have to make that call. So that is that just call. first instinct. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have to make those calls. Those calls are tough. Oh, no. That's why, again, if you just go out and you, and you figure out the trade market and you go, say, three for one or one for three in the Dodgers' case, which means that you're going you're gonna to send away three players, get one in return, you don't have to worry about these decisions. See all these yeah. tough conversations we're having? You don't have to have those if you go that route. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, you just have to have the tough conversations of who you decide to trade away Correct. in that case. That but that's see, where the tough Kendra, tra- tough conversations conversations translate to. It's a different conversation. It's an easier conversation for me substantially because mm-hmm. you trade away people and players in positions of depth that are blocked. Yeah. Guys yeah. that that are great players that are never going to see the field for the Dodgers because there's just too many guys in front of them. Yeah, right? No, I I think you're certain. Or guys that have positional right depth about that. that yeah. I'm yeah. At at the certain positions, uh, there are like you said about it. There's very limited opportunities within this organization because of the high bar of excellence that the Dodgers demand at the major league roster. Makes it incredibly difficult to crack. Not saying that these guys, these prospects, don't meet that level of success. But the Dodgers, because of that high expectations, they like to get a lot of guys that they know can clear that bar. And with that, and because they develop a lot of guys in their system, they have so much depth within their system. It becomes easier to trade off some of those guys because they can get guys who excel that depth, excel that bar meet that level of excellence while also being able to supplement with the farm system when they needed because of the scouting that they have because of the players that they have in their system makes it a little bit easier not completely easy because it you hate as an organization Mm, to see these talents go and see the depth go uh but i think that it certainly is a move that the dodgers likely are going to have to make because they also have to take into account opportunity in order for these guys to continue to develop as well opportunity costs that come from some of the signings like keeping these guys with arbitration or like signing a jason hayward it's not just about the financial cost or the 40-man roster cost it is also about the opportunity cost at the major league level which is an important thing to keep in mind and one of the main reasons why the dodgers are likely to trade some of the guys on the 40-man roster who are prospects to other teams, not just to get the level of talent, but because there is very little opportunity for them at the big league level in order to develop and grow into the, the, the major league baseball players that we know that they can be. Let me give you a perfect case scenario of what you're talking about or what we're talking about. Let's say the Dodgers go get Randy Rosarina, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So that tells you that they're probably planning on putting Mookie Betts at second base, correct? Yes. Okay. So that's that's your plan there. Okay. And then probably Johnny DeLuca and you know James Altman, Randy Rosarino. That's your outfit, something like that. Jason Hayward. 
is your fourth yeah. outfielder, or DeLuca is your fourth outfielder, whichever way you want to go. You know, Hayward being the left-handed hitter, DeLuca being – pretty good scenario yeah. to have, right? Yeah. Okay? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so at that point, Yorbit Vivas gets traded. He's in that trade. Now, nobody in the Dodgers system wants to see Yorbit Vivas go. We yeah. love the type of game he has. He's a great player. He has some versatility to him. He has great plate discipline. We've talked about it time in and time out. He walks more than he strikes out, that kind of thing. We love Yorbit Vivas. Everybody in the Dodgers system loves Yorbit Vivas. But at that point, if Randy Rosarina is your right fielder and Mookie Betts is your second baseman, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. You you make that you make that you make that move. Obviously, a trade for Randy Rosarina just won't, won't just include a guy like Yorbit Vivas, but that would meet the level of excellence that the Dodgers demand and would create just a higher ceiling for the Dodgers to to attain. You're getting a guy that has been an incredible outfielder, somebody who's been doing this for a while now, still has several years of club control, and has been really good in the bright moments during the postseason. He has had some huge moments. That is a player that if you decide to go out and get, that would just raise the bar and also create more opportunities to win during the primes of Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. In mm. that scenario, you would be willing to sacrifice some of the talent that you have on the 40-man roster because you would be getting a guy that is incredibly talented. And then you also trust your farm system to be able to supplement those guys while you have Randy Rosarena for three years even if he doesn't resign with the Dodgers, you'd be able to develop a guy to help fill in that shoes when he moves on from the system. So that type of talent that also goes for some of the starting pitchers as well. You can be able to supplement those guys. If the guy that you bring back can meet the level of excellence that the Dodgers expect. Great way to put it. That's kind of what I'm saying. The Dodgers don't want to get rid of any of these guys, but if at some point, you're going to get a guy that's making – so you take the guys then at that point that are blocked, right, and that you have organizational – that's who you try to trade away, right? I mean, so, like, if you go get a guy that's going to put Mookie Bits at second base, that makes all your second basemen tradable at that point, right? Okay, so mm-hmm. if you go get, you know, a, a, a number one starter, then that makes some of your pitching a little bit more tradable, right? That that kind of deal. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I'm saying at that point. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's that's probably – you don't just go give away a guy that, that you actually need. You try to give away a guy that has value. You know, he's going to be a really great major leaguer. We all think that. But yet isn't going to do it with the Dodgers in the next two or three years because the Dodgers already have established, the, you know, MVP-type players at that position, you know? So, yeah, that, that's kind of the strategy there. Austin Barnes, no – Diego Cartaya, no. Hunter Fiducia, no. Will Smith, no. Michael Bush, no. Freddie Freeman, Gavin Lux, Max Muncy. We talked about Rojas, no. Chris Taylor, Miguel Vargas, no. Yorbert Vivas, no. Mookie Betts, DeLuca, no. Altman, Pajes, no. No, there's there's really nobody on the position player wise. I know a lot of people might bring up like an Austin Barnes. The issue with that is you need to have depth at the catching position, especially at the catching position, because it is such a taxing position. And so I think that's one of the main reasons why the Dodgers decided to add Hunter Fiducia to the 40 man roster is to add a third catcher that is ready for the major league. So then in case there's some sort of 
injury, you're not calling somebody up who has only catched at the double A level, hasn't caught at double A, speaking of Diego Cartaya or a Carson Taylor yeah. up to the big leagues and expecting them to be at that level of excellence for the Dodgers. I know Austin Barnes has not been to that level that the Dodgers expect. He is still under contract. He's still loved by a lot of his teammates uh, and certainly can provide hopefully some value behind the plate a little bit, or at least provide the Dodgers with at least a little bit of depth. Um, unless they decide to bring in an additional catcher, which would basically not add any player to the 40 man roster. They would just switch spots with a Austin Barnes. That doesn't solve the solution that you have right now. I'll figure out, figuring out which guys you, if you need the clear room would be designated for assignment, unfortunately to clear that room. Bottom line is Hunter Fiducia is better than Diego Cartier right now, period. He's better mm -hmm. than every other catcher you have in the system right now. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. mean no, three years is... from now that's the case. But as of right now, Hunter Fiducia, in my opinion, is the second best catcher in the system. Yes. Yeah, I, th I think you are right with that. Will the Dodgers bring him up to the big leagues? There's still spring training to fight over that, to decide that, to figure that out. Um, we'll have to see what happens with that. Okay, let's get to some comments. That's been a good conversation. That, that I struggled, if you can't tell, with that Austin. Oh, yeah. No, we're talking that, about cutting guys, man. That, whoo, that one gets tough for me. <laughs> yeah, no, those, uh, this is the unfortunate part of the business yeah. and not something that we like talking about a whole lot. I hope we did okay with that, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Hey, wanted to remind everybody the GoFundMe account, the link to that is up at the top. If you could donate a dollar fifty cents, whatever, you know, or not, to do no big deal either way. Yeah. But we are trying to start a spring training fund account, trying to send Austin to spring training here, and that would be awesome, you know. So uh, I wrote an awesome story today too. I got that link in here, right here, as you can see on the chat. I've got that link, and that is to his story. We're going to get into that conversation here in a minute if we can get to the the comments about FIP and XFIP about hey how teams are they're not looking at past performances as much. They're trying to predict future performances, and Austin is all over this type of metrics and stats that they use to do that with. That story tells all about that, so go check that out. Got that link right there in the chat. Good evening, Roy. Thank you for tuning in. Craig, good evening as well. Roy says, are the Braves the front runner for Cease because he is from Georgia? Do the Dodgers still have interest? Absolutely, the Dodgers still have interest. No doubt about it. Oh, yeah. No, and it's going to be not Dylan Cease's decision whether he goes to the Dodgers it's going to be the White Sox decision as mm -hmm. far as which package they would like to receive in a trade scenario he's still under club control he's not a free agent so he's going to so the White Sox are going to make that decision depending on which package that they would like if they decide to trade a Dylan Cease Roy Estrada says, Craig Reeves still bothers me. Not playing like a key piece would trade him while he still has well, he got, while he still has value. Uh, Hep C says, Brian Hudson, Victor Gonzalez are gone. We'll see. I mean, that's if they, again, I think they're going to try to trade away some pieces to keep everybody they have already on the 40-man. Those are two left-handed. You know, Victor Gonzalez is a left-hander that can hit 98 that had major league success last year and quite a bit of it towards the end of last year. Brian Hudson, again, six foot eight. Lots of extension, has the good sweeping slider, so there's a lot to like there. So I don't think they're just good. I don't think plan A is to get rid of those two. I think those probably would be the first two that would be gone. 
if they have to DFA somebody. But again, we'll see what happens in the trade market. Can't till January, says Craig. Okay, I don't like the Hayward signing. He doesn't hit in the playoffs, and he has to be platooned. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted about guys like Jason Hayward. And again, these are tough conversations for me because you know I'm on the player side, right? I, I don't, I do not, I will not ever, ever badmouth a player or bad. I, I know how hard this game is. I've seen it. Yeah, I, I've just seen how hard this. It's just too hard. And these guys care, and they and they love the game, and they love to, you know, they want to do good, good as as well as anybody. So again, we're talking business, correct? We're not talking about, you know, whether whether we like players or not. So I get conflicted on, on players like Jason Hayward. I personally don't think he's dynamic enough. I think the Dodgers could go out and get a more dynamic type player. I think Johnny DeLuca will be a more dynamic player. I think Johnny DeLuca, with the same amount of bats, would hit 15, more than 15 home runs. I think you would have probably a little bit higher batting average. And then I also think you'd have 25 stolen bases, where Jason Hayward only had like seven. And I think DeLuca would be probably better in the outfield. But again, then you have a veteran presence in the clubhouse. No, Freddie likes, likes. So I see why the Dodgers would want a guy like that, and they like the sure things that they have seen perform at the major league level. A guy like Johnny DeLuca, we've seen him some at the major leagues. Certainly not a sure thing. So I can understand it both ways. So where do you fall on that, Austin? Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of those kind of conflicting um thoughts kind of crept up in my mind too with that with Jason Hayward first off I want to say that Jason Hayward for what he did last season especially looking at his career trajectory he was his career was on the brink of being at an end Mm -hmm. after his run with Chicago and the Dodgers were able to take him in they were able to fix something in his swing And he really did perform, really outperformed a lot of the expectations that play that people had of him when the Dodgers decided to give him that minor league contract last season. And he was incredibly valuable. You look at F war, Fangraphs war, he was worth 2.2 war last season. You're talking about a guy that was valuable for his team. Yeah, no, he was a valuable player last season. Talk about 15 home runs. You're talking about uh, 9% walk percentage, 17% strikeout percentage. And a guy who, because of the position that the Dodgers put him in, platooning almost exclusively against right-handed pitchers, that is a that is a scenario, and he's put in an environment where he can succeed. Now, the issue that comes up with signing a guy like a Jason Hayward is those opportunity costs that come with that signing for some of the younger guys that you might need in the future to help supplement your roster, especially if the Dodgers are looking to sign a Shohei Otani and maybe a Yoshinobu Yamamoto. You're talking about big, big contracts added to this roster. You're going to have to supplement that with guys either from the farm system who are going to be receiving some of that MLB minimum salary or with guys that are reclamation type projects that are cheap um, with a guy like a Jason Hayward. He's a guy that I believe next season, if he continues with the trend that he had with the Dodgers could be a valuable piece and could be very well worth the contract that he has. And with that, I don't think there's any doubt that um, it 9 million? he would certainly, 
it is nine million. Yeah, and you're talking about eight and a half million per one war. That's what could be a very reasonable contract. The issue with that could be the opportunity cost that it could have for a guy like a Johnny DeLuca, for guys like a Michael Bush or Miguel Vargas. But then again, maybe the Dodgers are already envisioning packaging them in some type of trade to get a starting pitcher. So maybe Mm -hmm. that opportunity cost is not as large as we make it out to be right now. If we see the grand vision of what the Dodgers are planning to do this off season with signing a guy like Jason Hayward, I think he's going to be fine with what he does. In fact, last year he did succeed with what he did. Uh, So with that, I'm kind of a little bit conflicted, but I understand the move. And I think they were going to make a move for an outfielder. Regardless, the answer to that seems to be Jason Hayward. So here's the bottom line. You like, you like numbers, like you like, you like statistics, right? Austin, you taught it. Just, you taught us just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So bottom line, no matter how you put it, he had 334 at bats last year, right? So -hmm. the opportunity cost is 334 at bats are taken away from anybody else in your system, right? Is mm-hmm. Jason Hayward and what he's going to bring your club worth taking away 334 at-bats from Johnny DeLuca, Miguel Vargas, Michael Bush, Yorbit Vivas, or whoever it is else that you go and get? Is, is his 334 at-bats taking away from those guys, is he worth that? It's not the he, $9 million, is he worth Yes. It's, it's, yeah, is no. he worth those 334 at-bats? Yeah, no, and the one year, the $9 million doesn't really impact the Dodgers at all. It is that question about opportunity costs. Right now, if the Dodgers roster is as constructed as it is today, that is a big impact mm-hmm. on that opportunity right. cost exactly. for those guys. But tomorrow, if there is some sort of trade, or in the future, if there is some sort of trade, that opportunity cost diminishes a little bit because there might be less guys just yeah. looking at the 40-man roster Great who might point. need those opportunities. So right now, looking at it, the opportunity cost seems high because it seems to be taken away from a lot of guys. Some of those guys might be getting opportunities in other organizations because the Dodgers have other shoes or other holes to uh, help fill in order to help construct the best roster they possibly can to make a run for the World Series. I agree with everything you said. I'm just telling you, though, if the Dodgers trade Johnny DeLuca in any way, yeah. shape, or form, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. I'm just telling you, I'm going to be pissed because that oh, yeah. dude's good. Oh, that dude is incredibly Not bad-mouthing Jason talented. Hayward. But yeah. if, they, if the Dodgers trade Johnny DeLuca to give Jason Hayward 336 at-bats, I'm going to be pissed. I will say that point blank. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you're wrong about it. We've talked a lot about just how good Johnny DeLuca is. Yeah, no, I mean, Dodgers just got a small a small taste of what he's able to deliver. If you get that over the course of not 45 plate appearances, but over the course of 300, 400, 500 plate appearances, you'll start to appreciate just the skills that Johnny DeLuca has with both the power, the speed, the ability to control the strike zone a little bit. And then like the Dodgers saw in Texas, the dynamic defense that he brings in the outfield. So yeah, it's, it is a very difficult cost to have taken away opportunities for a lot of these guys, because you know, these guys could succeed. 
uh, with the Dodgers, again, that bar of excellence that they expect within their organization, it's a lot of times easier to take what you envision as the safe bet, the guy who has been at the big leagues for a longer period of time, who knows what it takes to get to that bar of excellence. I believe in a guy like a Johnny DeLuca, who, if given the opportunity, could meet that bar with the Dodgers. They seem at times to like it, to play it safe a little bit. Could be what they're doing with Jason Hayward. Also could be envisioning some potential trades coming up to where, man, you might need those 300 or so at-bats that he's going to have. Uh, and you want Jason Hayward to, because he had success against yeah. right-handed pitchers last season, yeah. to take those at-bats. Yep. I understand. It's a great conversation, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, it's it's a very fun conversation. We've got Johnny DeLuca up on the screen right now. I, I don't have it up for you. I can, you want me to put it up for you, Austin? No, you're fine. Okay, yeah. So let's get back to some more comments as we watch Johnny DeLuca here. Lakers are destroying the Pistons. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Dodgers don't need those lefties from relievers from last year. I would say Victor Gonzalez was better than, than people give him credit for. Uh, Caleb Ferguson. Yeah, I mean, again, first year back. And then uh, Alex Vesia, you know, again, it's I, I struggle to ever say anything negative about any player. Again, I'm going to yeah. say that again, okay? But I do. I he's probably the one I trust the least, just because I just don't trust his emotions. Does it make sense? He's just he's just so up and down. And even in the AAA performances I saw him in Oklahoma City, it's like, dude, just breathe. You're about to hyperventilate, man. It's a, it just that that kind of those kind of emotions. I don't trust, you know, because they, they roller coaster, if that makes sense. But that's just me. I, I could be wrong on that. Okay, Ferguson and Vesey need to go. Dodgers don't need those. Okay, you need to learn to like the Hayward trade because he is a Dodger in 2024. He brings more to the club than just play. Yeah, we talked about the, mm -hmm. the leadership in the clubhouse. And uh, James Altman, who I think we could agree that Hayward probably took some at-bats away from Altman last year. Okay, James Altman would be the first one to tell you that Jason Hayward was a big mentor to him. And Craig says, yes, agree, Roy. One-year deal is a bad one. Even Cindergaard, as bad as he was, it was just a one-year deal. I like yeah. the one-year deals for the reclamation projects. Oh, yeah. No, those there's, there's very rarely a bad one-year deal because you just have to deal with it that one year. If it doesn't work out, you can move on without the huge financial burden that that brings. So one-year deals – you almost never see a bad one-year deal, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to some more. I actually didn't have Johnny DeLuca up. I thought we'll get to it here in a later. Okay, Roy says, see you later. Facts. Uh, random hero, 100% no way Rojas gets DFA. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier. I would agree with that. Michael Carrillo Barnes is a prime DFA candidate. Uh, you know, I, I think from a performance perspective, I think that is 100% correct. I do not think the Dodgers will evaluate that on performance, though. I think they're going to – I think if they were going to get rid of him, it would have been already or the end of last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right with that. And because they also need depth at that position, that can't be emphasized enough. If they bring somebody else from outside of the organization in, that becomes a real conversation as it is right now. You need depth at that position. You can't just have two mm -hmm. guys that are ready to go at the big league level. You need more than that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong necessarily by saying that, uh, Michael, but I'm just saying mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to happen for the Dodgers. Craig says hi to Michael. Yeah. Uh, 
All right, put Barnes in a trade. Yeah, that would be great, Craig, but I don't think he brings a whole lot of value back in a trade. Would you think, Austin? Uh, for Barnes? Yeah. I don't believe so, no. You're, a lot of these guys that um, – yeah, especially with a guy like a Barnes who didn't perform a lot uh, last season, I don't envision his trade value being necessarily very high just because a lot of teams – would be concerned about the performance that he would bring for their team as well. It's not like you can just assume that other teams value these guys. They also have to think about their self, their own selves and what these guys would do in their own organizations as well. That becomes incredibly difficult. So I don't envision a trade for an Austin Barnes. Either they keep him or they decide to release him would be the case that he is facing right now. Yeah, we have a comment here. I'll get to it here in just a second. Let me get back to my screen here. We have a comment that uh, uh, Victor Gonzalez would be, you know, there's always teams that need. Let me get back to my program here, and I'll switch this over. There's Victor Gonzalez right there. Okay, so we have a comment that says teams are always needing cheap lefties, especially ones that, that can hit 96, 97, and that have had major league success. Like Victor Gonzalez, that's what I mentioned earlier. I think mm-hmm. if he gets DFA, he immediately gets picked up. Would he have any value in a trade? I I think that could you could potentially see. I wouldn't say it's very much value in a trade just because they can potentially find some of these other lefties elsewhere. We, coming up since winter meetings are going to be happening pretty soon is going to be the rule five draft in which case you could potentially get some guys from the rule five draft some left-handed relievers that are up in some of the systems of some organizations talked about some of the guys that are available in the past like a rooney like gamboa but there are opportunities to get a lot of relief pitchers which i think a lot of organizations see that for relief pitchers. I don't think it's just the Dodgers who view relief pitchers as things that you can acquire relatively easily in comparison to some of the other positions. Lefties is where it gets a little bit unique and challenging because they're they're a lot more rare than some of those right-handed relief pitchers. So with Victor Gonzalez, he certainly, I wouldn't envision being any sort of centerpiece to some sort of trade. He could be somebody that could be enticing to a team just to kind of add on to that trade if they are looking to have some sort of left-handed relief pitching help especially a guy left-handed with some velocity with it as well. So it's, it's, it's difficult to gauge a lot of these players trade values, especially with some of the relief pitchers as well Uh, with Victor Gonzalez. I can't imagine that it's too terribly high as far as the trade value, but there's certain, he certainly is a very valuable player. And certainly that if the Dodgers decide to move on from him, if they have to do that, I believe he would get other opportunities in other organizations. What What is the hang-up with him? I'm just curious. You know, uh, if you look the way he started in April, he didn't give up any runs his first – he didn't give up a run this year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He did not give up a run in his first ten outings. That would be one, two, 2.2, 3.2, 4.2, 5.2. 9.2, that would be in 11 innings. His first 11 innings, he didn't give up a run. 
Then his last 10 innings of this year, last 10 innings of the regular season, he only gave up one. And then in the postseason, okay, he he uh, he pitched 6.2 innings. He had five strikeouts. Went uh, and and or career postseason, I should say, career postseason. Mm-hmm. He has a 2.7 ERA. What? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what the where everybody's. I mean, where it's coming, where it's coming. The the Victor Gonzalez, where that's coming from, kind of. Yeah, I, I and I don't fully get grasp it necessarily. Um, with him, I mean, you're talking about bullpen arms, which are so incredibly volatile that it's easy to throw them necessarily under the bus if you need somebody, you if you need space on your 40-man roster. I think that's the reason why he's coming up. But if you look at his season, last season at the big leagues, pitched in 33.2 innings, you look at some of the numbers that we will get to talk about later in the yeah. show, like a FIP and XFIP, you're talking about it in the mid threes like 3.4 for fifth 3.76 for his expected fifth for his expected era is 3.18 which takes into account a little bit more of the uh exit velocities and Mm -hmm. stuff um you're talking about a guy who did have success at the big leagues but i think with bullpens i think it is very easy to remember some of the performances that didn't go well rather than the performances, the many performances that did go well. So I think regardless whether you're talking about like a Victor Gonzalez or if you're talking about a guy like a Bruzdar Gradarol or any of these guys, you remember a lot of those moments where things did not go well in one inning perhaps cost the game a little bit. So I think with a guy like a Victor Gonzalez, I think a couple of factors go into why he, we, or at least some Dodgers fans envision him as being an option. One, because of the volatility of the relief market. Two, because he has been up and down from the minor leagues to the big leagues the past couple of seasons. And because of perhaps some of the, uh, disappointing outings that relief pitchers have that could stick out in a lot in the minds of a lot of uh, players as well, or people trying to evaluate what to do. It, it's incredible. Brian tough Hudson to on your up. screen, by the way, guys. Yeah. It's incredibly tough to figure out how to navigate or have these conversations with a lot of these guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm going to get some Gus Varlin video going here. This is Brian Hudson that you've been seeing here for the last couple of minutes. Again, we're talking about candidate, possible DFA candidates if the Dodgers eventually need to clear space. You just saw Victor Gonzalez. Here is Brian Hudson. And again, these are not guys that, that we want the Dodgers to get rid of. These are, you know, We're just talking business decisions here. So, you know, I mean, you never know what's going to happen, but but this is Gus Varlin here. This would be another guy that, that you know, he would get picked up almost immediately. And, again, we're just talking about the business decisions uh, side of things for the Dodgers. But, okay, so um, let's get back to some more comments. Did you guys see that a cease trade might happen soon? So, okay, Rosarina played all his games in left field. Yeah, I've, when I saw him, in, when he came through Oklahoma City, he played all his games in right field. So I, it would be interesting to see whether the Dodgers put him in left field and then kept Mookie in right, and then figured out who their second baseman was. Again, this is Gus Varland pitching here. Or if they put him in right field, moved Mookie to second base, put DeLuca in left, and made Jason Hayward your fourth outfielder. I think there's two different ways you could go with that. It would be interesting to see 
you know, it's going to be depend on whether they prioritize at bats for Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas over DeLuca. But again, there's that opportunity cost. It's going to be interesting to see uh, if that happened, which way that would go. Okay, uh, did you guys see that a cease trade might happen soon? Braves and Dodgers are the front runners. Are there any other prospects that you think we need to be looking at right now, you know, as, as far as the conversation we're having today? I mean, you're talking about with a trade for a deal and cease, you're talking about um, looking at some of the guys on the 40-man roster, both positional player-wise and pitching-wise who don't necessarily have clear roles with the Dodgers in 2024 as of this moment. So you're talking about some of the guys on the 40-man, like on, and all of these guys, it'd be very difficult to see them go, but exciting to see them get new opportunities. But you're talking about potentially like a Diego Cartaya, like the Bush Vargas being in that conversation, like a Pajes They would be in a trade. They wouldn't be at DFA. Yeah, all of these guys would be in trade candidates for like a Dylan Cease. Or you're looking at the pitching side. You're looking at names like Sheehan or Stone. or You're talking about those type of names on the 40-man for trade scenarios. Yes, it, there have been reports that trade talks have been intensifying for a guy like a Dylan Cease. Uh, it, he certainly is one of those guys that the Dodgers, because of the upside that they've seen from him in the past, not necessarily looking exclusively at his performance last season, but because what he did, I believe in 2022, second in the voting for Cy Young, showed some yeah. ex- show, showed some explosiveness during that season. They, they might believe that if they surround him with some of the best coaches as far as pitching-wise – and some of the just give it him a little bit in a dip out of Chicago in different opportunities that he might be able to flourish. You could envision potentially the Dodgers making that move, especially because they have to make a move for a frontline starting pitcher. Yeah, no doubt. You're seeing Gavin Stone here talking to Alex Friedman. He mentioned right before the All Star break, Gavin Stone was working after he didn't have a success at the major league level, came back, worked with all the Dodgers pitching coaches and made a whole bunch of adjustments. Mainly it was trying to get his fastball to spots in the zone that weren't going to get ambushed, and then being able to be consistently getting that in the zone. And then parts of the zone, not only that it didn't get ambushed, but that he could also play off with other stuff off of. Added the cutter like Michael Bo- or, uh, Michael Grove did, and that's been really a game changer for him. So I wanted to show you Gavin Stone here. That he's a guy that the Dodgers would, would – I, prom- I promise you they would hate to get rid of because they feel like – he turned a corner last year and really made a lot of progress for the organization. So, hey, heard a rumor. This is from Ila Shiva. Good evening, Ila Shiva. Heard a rumor that regarding Jock Peterson and the Dodgers, do you favor this? I am 100%, absolutely, totally, equivocally, unequivocally, entirely against that. <laughs> Austin? Yeah, I, I, I don't envision a scenario where that is likely unless the Dodgers decide to pivot – and decide not to shot, not to sign a guy like a Shohei Otani, and they want to add some sort of left-handed DH type bat. But then you also, if you don't sign a Shohei Otani, perhaps that presents an opportunity to move like a Max Muncie to that designated position role. So I see that as very unlikely, or at least if I was in the position where the Dodgers are right now. I wouldn't necessarily make that move. I think 
for that, you would want to provide, you would rather provide opportunities for a lot of the younger guys to be able to grow and have controllable years with a Jock Peterson, whether you sign him to a one year or I don't believe I would necessarily give him a multi-year deal. Although you could certainly envision that happening. What that is doing, just like what Jason Hayward does to a certain degree, degrade some of the opportunity cost for some of the younger guys to grow and be able to adapt to the major league level. So I would envision that as unlikely, at least if I was in charge of the Dodgers organization. Yeah, now, no obviously, the Dodgers it. are going to make their own moves and decide to do what is best for their organization. And we've seen them kind of go back to some players that they are familiar with. And so in that case, that certainly could be a scenario if they want to bring back the band per se, or bring back some of the guys that they are accustomed to that know how to play in LA. If I were the Dodgers though, that's not the route that I would take. Yeah, me too. Uh, I would agree with that. That That's a great comment though. And these are great conversations to have Matt Kramer, who always just, just wonderful thoughts. Again, I'm going to say it first time I've said it tonight. I should have said it a long time ago, Austin, we don't have the biggest crowd at Dodgers daily, right? Although, Hey, it's growing. No doubt that oh, yeah. the live crowd is growing, right? Okay, and we certainly appreciate that. That is so wonderful. The bigger the crowd, the funner. Hey, you never can tell which direction we're going to go, right? And hopefully Austin and I know enough about it where we can go different directions and not sound like dumbasses, right, on this thing. That's the whole goal for both of us. So it's super fun, but I'm going to say it. Dodgers Daily, it doesn't have the biggest crowd, but it does have absolutely the best baseball crowd out there. Yes, you're absolutely right with that. Just love the audience and love the communication that we're able to have with the audience and love all the comments that you guys uh, provide with this. It really is a smart baseball community with a whole bunch of different opinions, but we come, but you guys come up from it from just such a unique perspective and with intention behind it too, which I think makes this community Dodgers daily so unique and so amazing. Okay, I'm going to try to. I just messed you up right there, Austin. I got you right there, and I'm going to try to get this to scoot over so we can actually read this article at the same time. So bear with me here just for a second until I can actually get this centered on the screen where I can move this over and we can go over this together with Austin, the young man who wrote this wonderful article. Okay, right here. Uh, let's see. Hold on. No, I need a screen capture. Well... Okay. Yeah, even if you're not able to pull it up, I can kind of give a little bit of a synopsis of what everything is with that article that I wrote, which we have amazing audience right here. This is the this is kind of the uh the side of our show where we're going to get a little bit nerdy with some of the baseball statistics, but I think it is important to go. do this because it is now. Yeah, it, this is incredibly important to do because it is important to understand what we are talking about when we are talking about a lot of these baseball statistics. I know a lot of people kind of throw out some statistics, but don't necessarily understand what they are and their purpose, which was the goal of this. And it also is a little bit innovative as well as far as thinking about it and brings a little bit from some of my background as well so i don't know if we want to necessarily read through the art it is a fairly lengthy article uh necessarily read for that or you want me to give a little well, bit of synopsis whatever you think okay fielding infant dependent uh, pitches okay so first of all 
teams in the hot stove stage of, of the offseason, instead of trying to figure out what, te- what guys did in the past, they try to use metrics and data analysis to figure out what they're going to do in the future, correct? Yes. Yeah, the goal in this free agency is to not pick the players who succeeded the most in 2023. It is who will succeed the most in 2024 and beyond. That is the most important thing that teams are keeping in mind when they're going to deciding which players to add in the future. So uh, this kind of gives a little bit of a breakdown of some of the metrics, not all of the metrics. These are, using some of the countable statistics of the season. There certainly is a lot of elements to it, but these are some of the a little bit more advanced statistics that have gotten a little bit more accustomed or have gained more credibility recently. One of those is fielding independent pitching. Yep. Yeah, and I hey, I'm kind of in between. It's kind of cool because I didn't grow up with any of these stats. I grew up with batting average, and I didn't even grow up like with, with whip or – or, you know, OPS, just just batting average yeah. and on-base percentage, right? Okay, so all these are pretty new to me, but yet a lot of them make sense. You know, like filling it, trying to figure out, you know, hey, yeah, if a guy, you know, try to, you know, make everything standard for all the pitchers and not, you know, one pitcher's better because he has a better defense behind him. So here is, here is the fielding independent pitching. So, Austin, go ahead and explain exactly what this is and why it works. Yeah, so with so it comes down from a basic flaw that earned run average has, which you mentioned. With ERA, there is a potential flaw in it to where pitchers don't always control the batted balls that get put in play behind them. They don't control the positioning of the defense. They also don't even control necessarily where the ball is going to land when it gets put in play. So there is some luck involved when it comes to ERA. So with that, FIP, fielding independent pitching, was created to only include the statistics that a pitcher can control. So it only includes strikeouts, walks, hit by pitches, and home runs and creates an ERA-like estimate, meaning on the same scale of ERA, so you can understand it the exact same way, except with only the controllable aspects of the pitcher. So you have their strikeout rate, their walk rate, how often they give up home runs, and also hit by pitches are kind of thrown in there as well because that's something that... Uh, pitchers can control. So basically what FIP does takes everything a pitcher can control, converts it into an ERA like estimator that yep. is fielding independent pitching. Yep. And so that kind of gives you an exa- a, a idea of what a pitcher, what dip, all the different pitchers in the league would do, you know, if there were no elements that they couldn't control, you know, out there or they, if they're all exactly the same, right? So who's the yeah. best pitcher under the exact same scenario as everybody else, right? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, no, you're yep. yeah, you're exactly right with that. You're talking about some of the guys where if you just take a look at what they can control, who did that best. Now that can be taken into the next step, which the other statistic that gets highlighted is called XFIP or expected fielded independent pitching. That only makes one small tweak, and it comes from the assumption that Pitchers don't always control how often fly balls get hit for home runs. How often have we seen like a home run barely scraped by the wall or 
let's say, let's take an example that's close to home for me living in Michigan area, Comerica Park. Very vast as far as his outfield walls. There could be batted ball. There's are there could be fewer home runs hit in that ballpark than there is, say, in Yankee Stadium. And so there could be perhaps some luck involved, even with the home run rate that the pitcher can control. And so what expected fit does, and this is the key part or one of the key parts in my article with here is it converts that home run rate to the league average home run rate, meaning yeah, you're going cool. from one extreme to what the pitcher can control, cool. to what the pitcher had, had from home runs to the league average. And it does this for every single pitcher when calculated expected FIP. That is awesome. You know, cause I think with everything that happened, I think there also needs to be projections as to what normally would have happened you know, under normal circumstances, because yeah. a guy might have got lucky or, or he might have, you know, hey, a, a ball might have went an inch to the left and it was a home run, where if it's an inch to a right, it wouldn't have been. You know, there's there's all sorts of inching factors like that that I think you need to have both real numbers. And I totally agree with you, Elishiva. I love batting average. I Hey, Austin, you know this as well as I do. I argue with you all the time about the fact that almost every offensive statistic, even the new modern ones, Batting average plays a factor in all of them, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there certainly is an element that batting average does play, and you certainly do want to get on base. You want to get, put some balls in play. Yeah, that certainly does play a role, absolutely. So, you know, this isn't to say that ERA is not important. This isn't to say that, you know, all the normal, the the the, the typical pitcher stats that, that we've seen over the years aren't important. This is just to say these are added elements to, to go and show not only what is a per, you know, ERA shows what somebody's already done. So now is there a way that we can actually make a projection to see if they're going to keep being like that? Are they going to get better? Are they going to get worse? Are they going to stay the same? That you or, know, I think, or whether they got necessarily lucky or unlucky correct. with some of the things that they have. But it's important because a lot of times people might throw out what FIP and XFIP is of a player, but not they might not fully understand what exactly that means. So with XFIP, it's important to understand that sets the home run, fly ball to home run rate at league average. Yeah. With FIP, it takes into account whatever that pitcher's uh, home run rate was. Okay, so then so, that goes, yeah, sorry, so then go that goes into the rest of the article because the goal, remember, of MLB organizations is to make projections of what is going to happen in the future, not what happened in the past, what will happen in the future. And I think with those statistics, with FIP and XFIP, there is a unintended flaw with using just those statistics to make predictions on the next season's ERA. And it comes down to the fundamental formulas to calculating FIP and XFIP. Remember, FIP uses an individual's home run rate from that season. Whereas XFIP uses the league average. Yeah. And so then this goes back into in the article and I talk about a little bit of my background. I know that you're a teacher. Um, I just finished up grad school back in April. And during grad school, uh, it's funny enough, I was a teaching assistant as well. Um, and so with that, 
basically the role that I have. Basically, I just was a teacher. They just shoved me at the front of the class, had to teach an introductory statistics course. And during that introductory statistics course, it's funny because all of these flashbacks were coming back. One of the concepts we talked about was called the regression effect. Again, getting a little bit nerdy with the statistics. We will come back to FIP and XFIP in just a minute. But basically what the regression effect does, and it's best explained in an example. So let's say that you have midterms and final exam scores for a class. And let's say all of the students took the midterm score and you have all of their scores. And you want to use their scores to make a prediction of what they're going to score on the final exam. Kind of like how we want to make predictions as far as from one season's ERA to the next season's ERA. So with that, if somebody is in, let's say in the article I mentioned, the 90th percentile in the midterm exam, according to the regression effect, we want to predict that that individual would finish in the 90th percentile on the final exam. We would actually predict that that individual would fall somewhere between the 51st and the 89th percentile meaning that we would predict that that individual would fall somewhere he would we would predict that they would still be above average on the final exam just closer to whatever the median is closer to whatever the average is same thing is true with the reverse of it so if you're below like the 10 percent, we would predict you'd be between the 11th and 49th percent meaning we are predicting that you get closer to the average but not which we would still predict that you are below league average. Right. Now let's use some baseball baseball analogies with that as well. So with a pitcher like a Sonny Gray, who had the lowest home runs per nine in Major League Baseball last season, I think it's reasonable to predict that he would still have a low home runs per nine rate next season. But I don't think it's fair to assume that he's going to have the lowest home runs per nine total. Meaning if we are projecting what his home runs per nine total is, I believe it is somewhere between his actual value, his FIP, and the league average ex-FIP. I think he's still going to be below league average as far as giving up home runs, meaning he's not going to give up a ton of home runs, just not to the extreme of what he had. And then... The other extreme with that would be a guy like a Lance Lynn, who I know Dodgers fans are familiar with him giving up a lot of different home runs, uh, as the Dodgers fans saw. I think it is reasonable to assume that he won't, he's not going to give up to the extreme that he did last season. But I think it's also fair to assume that he's still going to be above average, meaning giving up more home runs. Than, average, than an average major league player has in that projection, meaning that during this conversation and using the concept that I taught during an introductory statistics course, the regression effect, I believe if you want to make tr- true predictive values because the only difference between FIP and XFIP is that home runs per nine, the best prediction would be somewhere between FIP in XFIP, which is the heart of what this article goes after. Yep. And then, see, I'm the time like Ila Shiva. I'm the type to say, hey, I watched every pitch Lance Lynn threw last year, and you can go back to our podcast, and I told you he was going to give him home runs in the playoffs, and he's going to give him home runs next year when he does. I told you. You know why? Yeah. 
Go I ahead. saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> yeah. I've watched yeah. baseball before, and I knew that was so. This is the awesome debate. You know, you have you have you have all these awesome statistics, and then I'm with Ila Shiva, where I do kind of wish the Dodgers would say, "Hey, these statistics are great." But when the game starts, use your eyes, use your intuition, use your gut. You've been around a baseball field, you know, your whole life. You know what you're seeing, so go do it from that perspective. So I think the, I think the important thing is here is that you got to figure out a way to incorporate all of it and not just – you can't just say, hey, we're just going to do everything based off of data. And then I don't think you can do everything saying, hey, we're just going to ignore data and do everything based on your gut. I think it has to be a system of using all of it together. Yeah, I, I think you're right right there at the end. It has to be a system of using a lot of different factors because just using these statistics exclusively, which if you read towards the end of the article, looking at some of the adjusted yeah. R squared or residual mean squared errors, um, they don't exactly or they're not great at exactly predicting the next season's era there is a lot of variance and a lot of yeah. error because there are so many different factors that go into this there can be better ways of going about making these predictions which is what this article tries to create it's it basically takes the middle value between fip and xfip and explains why that could be taking 150 pitching seasons um as far as players from the past two seasons who pitched at least 250 innings over the course of two seasons and shows that you can make better predictions if you understand the root cause of what each of these statistics have in mind. So with a lot of baseball organizations, with a lot of analytical offices, they're looking for in innovative ways to gain even the smallest of yeah, edge margin. Those margins yeah. make a huge, huge difference. And so when you're talking about all of these different statistics, when you're talking about doing the little things in the cage, the little things actually on the field, all of those small things can make the biggest difference. And so what this article is trying to highlight is a potential fix to try to make mm -hmm. the more analytical side to try to make it a little bit better at predicting or at least presenting a case where there could potentially be a little bit of a better side while also understanding the where those things come from, but also having the emphasis that the small things that you do can make a huge difference in this. So it's a really unique, really cool article that I haven't seen a whole lot of people necessarily explore, at least yep. for, as far as a new statistic taking the root of both of those certainly there could be other articles similar out there but i highly recommend kind of taking a look and if you have oh, no any doubt. questions on it absolutely reach out because we're trying to find different ways to yeah. evaluate these guys different ways to evaluate pitching and it certainly is fun especially for me coming from a statistician to be able to do yeah. this so it was a lot of fun to write the article is right there in the chat also at the top of the chat is our gofundme account if you'd like to give 50 cents or a dollar, it's right there. Just click that link. And, and again, we're trying to start a, a spring training fund. So, hey, thank you so much for that article, Austin. Thank you for that explanation. That was so fantastic. You know, like I always say, you're, you're able to take these new terminologies that guys like me didn't grow up with. 
You're able to explain it in a way that we can understand and make sense of and understand how it works in the game of baseball that we all love so much. So thank you so much for that, Austin. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. Any final thoughts? Yeah, no. Uh, obviously, with this, there's a lot of different decisions. There could be moves that happen for the Dodgers. So I know Dodgers fans are on the edge of their seat yeah. waiting for something to happen with that. Um, it is a fun time during the offseason looking at all of the rumors and stuff. I know a lot of them can be silly at times, but certainly gives us a lot to talk about yeah. within the system, not just looking at free agents, but also looking within the system of the future that they have. And looking at that future is something that we should all be doing and trying to figure out different ways to provide the best future for the Dodgers, both with the guys that they have in system with innovative ways that we can have towards analyzing these players our future players, uh, which makes all of this incredibly fun. So definitely keep an eye out for Dodgers daily. We will be continuing to provide coverage for you throughout the off season. Uh, check out the article that I wrote and all of the articles. I know there's been a bunch of different player highlights and stuff, uh, that have been posted on there definitely go check those out because those stories are fantastic a lot of fun stuff happening this was a tough show for me we had to we had to talk about some well, tough know. conversations <laughs> i know we we had it we had, so there's two things we had to talk about we had to talk about the 40-man roster yeah. and potential cuts and then we had to do a deep dive into st statistics and we still were able to generate a crowd there with that which is amazing and a testament to the audience that we have right there we had so an awesome really crowd today that. didn't we Oh, we had an amazing crowd. Yeah. Dipped it a little bit once I got into some of the number stuff, but that happens. Okay, man, great job. I want to thank you for everybody for tuning in, and we will see you again Friday evening, again, 6 o'clock Pacific. So until then, go Dodgers!